0: You're listening to KALX Berkeley 90.7 FM, University of California listener-supported radio. And this is Method to the Madness, coming at you from the Public Affairs Department here at Calix, celebrating the innovative spirit of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Ali Nazar, and today in studio, we have with us Rachel Tabor and Doug Hewitt, the co-founders of 1951 Coffee Company here in Berkeley. Hi, Rachel, hi, Doug.
1: Good morning. Hello,
0: good morning. Uh, thanks for coming in. Um, and you know, the first question I always ask founders, we've had a lot of founders on the show, And we always start with the same question, which is people create organizations for, usually because they see a problem. And there's something they're trying to, a vacuum they're trying to fill. So uh, can you guys explain to us what is the problem that you're trying to solve with 1951 Coffee?
1: Yeah. I can get started on it. Uh, Doug and I met while working at the International Rescue Committee, which is a global nonprofit that does humanitarian aid internationally and also has um, dozens of offices across the U.S. that help resettle refugees. And I'd always been more on the volunteer coordinating and fundraising and operations side, and Doug was more deeply involved in employment and resettlement and and more of the hands-on service and we office together a ton, and and our programs overlapped. And I think for both of us, we we saw the Herculean effort that resettlement agencies provide, and what they are aiming to help with a refugee arriving. And there's just there's not enough service providers. There's not enough people out there helping refugees. And so, when a refugee arrives in the U.S., the U.S. State Department sets the program. And they said it that the average amount that person will get arriving in the country is about $1,000 per person to restart their life. And that amount doesn't really change depending on what city you're in in the U.S. And as you can imagine, that is not enough. It has to be used to help someone find a new apartment, to help with clothing, supplies, transportation, and there has to be some money left over for spending. And so because of how the resettlement program is set up from the U.S. government, it makes employment the most critical piece for a refugee once they arrive in the U.S. And that's kind of, that was the crux of where we saw a lot of the need.
2: Yeah, so the, the U.S. government expects for a refugee to be economically self-sufficient within six months. Uh, that's the goal. And so that challenge is one that, that we saw that there needed to be a, a resource in the community uh, that could help refugees overcome some of the barriers between them and the U.S. job market. And some of the things that we had seen um, were you know, not having references, not having verifiable uh, work experience, and so we began to look and see if there was a way that we could create something in the community that would be a bridge between what the refugee resettlement agencies were doing and what U.S. employers uh, were, were looking for in uh, staff members. And so um, we decided to, to create 1951 Coffee Company to kind of be that that bridge between uh, those two.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. And can you tell us what is 1951 Coffee? Why was it named that?
1: Uh, Doug came up with it, so I have to uh, give him credit. And for anyone that's worked in the refugee or settlement world, you know the date. And so there's maybe like 0.5% of the population that understands it. Um, But it's the year that the UN held a convention in Geneva, Switzerland with well over, I think, 140 or 50 nations, and it set forth the definition, a legal definition for refugees, and a guideline for their protection. And the linchpin of that convention is something called non-refoulement, which means that a nation that signs on to the agreement of protecting refugees cannot send someone home if they're there seeking asylum and protection from uh, fear of death in their own country or persecution.
0: And what is the definition of refugee?
1: It is sorry this is I had I had to memorize this recently for a presentation um it is someone who owing to a well founded fear of persecution based on the reasons of race religion, nationality, and membership of a a particular social group or political opinion is outside of his or her country, and because of such fear, they are unable or unwilling to avail themselves to their home country for protection. So it's basically someone facing persecution for these reasons, race, religion, nationality, political group, social social group, and, and they fear persecution or death in their home country, and so greatly so that they leave and they have to leave. That's part of the definition.
0: And what is the UN's program? Um, I mean, I'm assuming that it's not binding. It's a set of Guidelines for countries that have signed on to the charter—is that how it works?
2: Right, right. So initially, the um, in 1951, it was looking at what was happening with World War II, and a lot of it focused mainly on on Europe. Um, later conventions came along, and then the 1967 protocols came along that ultimately expanded to a global mandate. Um, but again, it it is a an agreement that people uh, countries have have signed on to um, to participate in the uh, protection of refugees of people who are fleeing um, for for reasons, as Rachel said, for persecution, for fear of death, um, and a way to protect people in, in dire situations.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, we want to talk a little bit. I mean, it's, it, this is a problem that the world has seen for a long time. This is, as you said, in response somewhat to World War II. But right now, we're seeing one of the greatest refugee crises in, in history, so I'm going to get to modern day, uh, the modern day problems and what you guys are doing to solve in a second. But first, I always want to ask founders. Because I think there's such an interesting breed of people who uh, put things on the line to create something. and um, So let's hear a little bit about your guys' cells. How about you first, Rachel? How did you come to working with refugees?
1: Uh, how did I? It was a dear friend of mine that we had met doing fundraising together. Um, I started a nonprofit straight out of college and doing grant writing and social enterprise work. And my husband's grad school pulled us out to the Bay Area. We were in Denver at the time. Uh, and... We took a day to figure out where to live, and we decided it was Berkeley, and we've been here for a decade now. And while doing um, fundraising and development for a nonprofit in Walnut Creek, a dear friend of mine got hired at the IRC, and I had been an international affairs major in college at at UC Boulder, and they had a great program where they would host um, Lost Boys of Sudan, uh, which a lot of people have heard of that documentary or of, of the fact that there were thousands of orphaned boys because of the conflict in Sudan. And so families would host them and and they would do a work study program. And a lot of them studied political science or international affairs in the hopes of going back home one day and, you know, being the future leaders of their country. And so that was my first exposure to it. And so there was an open position at IRC and my friend slowly um, pulled me back in and it was, a great moment to kind of get more in the front lines and reconnect with what had been my collegiate passion. And
0: can you tell us, what, what's IRC?
1: Oh, it's the International yeah. Rescue Committee.
0: Okay. And they're the, are they the biggest uh, refugee resettlement organization in America or
1: I'd say they're one of the leading. There's nine. Uh, they're called voluntary agencies that are contracted with the U.S. State Department to conduct the refugee resettlement settlement program. Um, and I believe they have 25, 30 offices around the U.S. and a humongous global presence. Okay.
0: Um, and my favorite part of that story, one of my favorite parts, took you only a day to figure out to live in Berkeley. So yeah, good job. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Doug, what about you? How'd you get to work with refugees?
2: Yeah, so I, I started working with refugees, actually in a very literal sense. Um, I was working at a cafe and... In, uh, Mill Valley, and there was a young man who had been hired to to work there while I was was there, and we were they had two cash registers, and we were working side by side, and um, in in getting to know him, you know, I could just interacting with him, I, I could tell you, you know, we originally was not from the the United States, and um, one day over lunch, we had a lunch break at the same time, and he. I just asked, you know, how did you come to the U.S.? And he began to share with me his story um, about coming from Eritrea and how he fled across borders and eventually boarded a boat to try to cross the Mediterranean. His journey um, through that, you know, while we were sitting there that 30-minute break uh, in Mill Valley, just completely changed uh, the way that I had seen the world. I had never sat and talked with someone who had been on a journey like that, Um, and hearing his his first-hand account and all that he had been through, and then to see that we were both roughly the same age, both of us loved playing soccer, uh, we were working in the same job, but had come to that position from very, very different uh, situations, um, I began we became really good friends, uh, began to get to know his community more. Um, and at that point, it really just inspired me to to see that there was a place that I had to, to be involved there. And so I also um, found out about the International Rescue Committee, one of their offices were in, were in Oakland. Um, and so I began the process of volunteering with them, teaching English, uh, mentoring uh, new refugees coming to the country. And then eventually, um, after spending a stint uh, roasting coffee for, for about a year, uh, spent I began working at the International Rescue Committee. And that was really just where I kind of. I put down my roots.
0: Okay, uh, great. We're talking to Doug Hewitt and Rachel Tabor. They're the co founders of 1951 Coffee. It's a coffee shop and nonprofit here in Berkeley um, that is uh, focused on providing um, job training and um, economically resettling refugees here in the Bay Area. Um, and so I think I might know the answer to this, but I wanted to ask it anyway, just by what you just said, Doug. Why coffee? So I understand why you guys are trying to create jobs for refugees, but you had to, you could create any business in the world. Why'd you create a coffee business?
2: Yeah, so I, I think that um, one, Rachel and I both love coffee. Uh, even when we were working at our, our previous jobs, uh, we kind of did a, an informal survey of all the, the coffee that was around uh, our office. and so we kind of had our whole thing on our whiteboard at, at work. Um, but I think you know, as we began to look at the skills that we had, um, both of us had worked in coffee before had been baristas. I'd roasted coffee before um, We knew that that was something that we could teach and train um, people And we also knew from previous experience that the coffee industry here in the Bay Area is is huge um, Everything from the green coffee warehouses that are that are in Oakland um, And because of those warehouses are there There's a lot of roasters um, that have a presence here in this area and then you know having a massive number of cafes. Um, Berkeley is known for having the largest number of cafes per capita of anywhere in the country, um, and so and places like San Francisco and Oakland are, are, are very similar to that. Um, and so we knew that it was an opportunity. You know, if we could help refugees enter into the the coffee industry here, especially, um, it could be an opportunity for them to enter not just into a, a entry level job, but something that could be an entrance into a career as well
1: and just beyond the fact that it's not only a career economically it is truly the best position someone can get when they arrive in the US and i think that as we talk with people more about the challenges that are so unique and inherent to the refugee population it just it's it's eye opening to a lot of people cuz When you come to the U.S., you need to find a job. Uh, And and we had talked about some of the challenges earlier, but it's just compounded by the fact that a refugee has this economic crisis and they arrive, that that resettlement money they get gets spent so quickly because it's so expensive to live here. And no matter what a person's background, someone could have been in agriculture their entire life with a couple years of formal education, and now they're here in the U.S., and another person could have two PhDs and, you know, fabulous, you know high level career and they will both need to get a job within the same amount of time and that time is so short that there's absolutely zero ability for them to wait for long hiring processes to go through long job skills training programs and so vast majority, above 90%, 95 100%, half, they will find an entry level position. That is all they have the time for and they have the need so immediately. And we felt that there was an opportunity to help someone get a better job. And not just economically. And economically, baristas make sense. You know, a, a minimum wage hovers around twelve fifty right now. You know, it's, it'll be increasing soon in Berkeley and other areas. But a barista gets hired at about 13 to $15 an hour. So that just hands down is higher. But additionally, it's a tipped position. And and there is an income survey by a coffee publication a few years back. And San Francisco and Oakland are the first and third respective highest barista incomes across the country and TIPS at around $4 per hour. And so if you're looking, and I was a credit coach that ended my time at the IRC. And when you're looking at someone that's working probably one and a half jobs, two jobs, making $12.50 an hour versus $17 an hour is huge. And that's a big difference. In addition to just the economic factor, I think something that Doug and I felt very passionate is we would meet incredible people, like just spirit and And this drive to do something. And we would find them in jobs that aren't bad. I mean, not bad jobs, but ones that wouldn't push them to integrate in their new community. And that's a lovely thing about the coffee culture in the Bay Area and in the U.S. is that becomes your third place. That's that. You have your barista. You have your drink. You know those names. And so the ability to kind of reach across the bar and create those dignified relationships, both with your coworkers behind and with the people that are visiting the cafe is just a level of social integration that is not available in jobs right now.
0: Yeah, I always find that the best ideas are ones that seem really obvious after they've been created. I mean, the way you talk about it, means, it makes a ton of sense. One thing that doesn't make sense to me is if the U.S. resettlement program only is $1,000 and there's this economic clock ticking, why would any refugees come to the Bay Area? I mean, it's so expensive here. So why, how does that work? How do they choose the geography of the country to go to?
2: Right, so there there is some level of um, say so that a refugee has, and and where they end up. Very often during the resettlement process, they are being asked questions about, you know, do you have family members already located in, in specific countries? Um, and then there are also you know different countries who accept refugees for resettlement. They have different criteria, um, and they will accept different types of refugees or have priorities toward different types of refugees. Um, and so that can kind of you know, funnel down who, who goes where. Um, ultimately, you know, there's a, a process that the resettlement agencies go through and the, the U.S. government goes through. They, you know, they meet together and they talk about each case and they discuss you know, which case would be a best fit for which location. Now, if a, a refugee happens to have family member or friends um, living in a specific area, you know, that'll be a place where they were more than likely to, to end up. So very often here in the Bay area, that'll, that'll be, you know, a, a large number of the cases they have family members or friends who have already been here resettled, maybe in earlier resettlement, um, you know processes or um maybe they came you know a year six months before um and then sometimes it is just a process of this seems to be the location where they could be served the best um and yes it it is an expensive process to resettle people here but you know all the agencies are, are looking at trying to find the best fit for the specific case they're getting they're given details on the case um And they're trying to find the best location to to help someone get get started. And, you know, the Bay Area, for for its difficulty economically, it does provide an opportunity for people who want to live in a very diverse place to be welcomed. And I think that's that's one aspect. The socialization here um, and the welcome for people from very diverse backgrounds um, kind of balances out that economic hardship in some ways.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting point because um, with all the politicization of this issue these days especially from uh, he who will not be named as our president mm-hmm. um, I I wonder what would happen to refugees in parts of the country that have been kind of whipped up in this fear against mm-hmm. refugees but probably have never met one and have no personal connection to him it's almost like they would they would do better to actually, in, interact with a refugee or someone who's not like them, but that's a lot to ask of, of someone who's trying to start a new life. I mean, is there, in, in deep red states, uh, is IRC or other programs, are they settling refugees there, or is it only in places like like you said, Doug, where
2: there's a little bit more of a, um, a diverse and uh, progressive bias? So refugee resettlement is taking place in about 200 cities across the country, um, which means inevitably it is going to be in places that, you know, some places that are very supportive, some places that are are not so supportive of the process. Um, And, you know, refugee resettlement agencies all across the country are are you know, have that key piece in mind. You know, how do we effectively resettle people here in a way that this, you know, this larger community around? They're becoming a part of that larger community and not, you know, creating these two different communities within one location. Um, and so you'll see that a lot of a lot of resettlement agencies will will do as much as they can to kind of pound the pavement and get local buy in, Um, find, you know, organization groups of people um, to to welcome refugees and be a part of that welcoming process. Because there's a very big difference when, you know, as an agency or a government entity, you come in and be like, we're going to resettle refugees in this location versus going into that community getting buy-in from the community and say, hey, will you be a part of the welcoming process? You know, it's the same thing going into someone's home. If you just barge in the front door, it's very different than if you, you know, that person invites you into their home. And so that's a role that the refugee resettlement agencies often play is working with that larger community to to find a way for them to be involved in that welcome process, um, and at that point, you know, you then to have have that more buy-in, um, and I think it kind of eases that that process and does create that opening, you know, that you were talking about for people to get to know people who are who are different from them.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's really amazing the the work you guys do in this whole process, um, learning a lot about this morning. We're talking to Doug Hewitt and Rachel Tabor. They're the co-founders of Nineteen Fifty One Coffee Company. It's a nonprofit started here in Berkeley to help. Uh, integrate refugees into the Bay Area, um, so you know we talked a lot about kind of the global or you know macro issues here. But let's talk about some of the stories. I'm sure you guys have some amazing stories of people who have worked in your shop. You guys started in 2015, is that right?
1: Well, the we quit our jobs to find or you know, launch 1951 in 2015, but uh, the cafe only opened about four months ago, and serendipitously we opened three days before the first failed travel ban. Uh, So the cafe arm of what we're doing is new. Prior to that, um, you know, 2015 was a lot of business planning and incorporating and curriculum development. In 2016, we started a barista training program, which Doug teaches and facilitates. And the thought behind it was, you know, when we first, we first put our stake in the ground and, you know, started meeting in our you know, small little broken folding chair startup office, um, was the coffee shop. And, And it would be not only a place to help the greater community and the refugee community intersect and allow it to be an advocacy moment, and, and provide job opportunities. And as we started getting deeper into it, we're like, great, even if it's just the most slamming busy cafe in Berkeley, maybe at a max we'll employ 13, 15 people. And each one of those souls and people are important and wonderful, but that is a smaller impact than the number of people arriving and that we were hoping to affect. And so while we were waiting for the notoriously long Berkeley permit process to go through <laughs> – Uh, We started a job training program and there is a church in Oakland called Regeneration uh, right by Lake Merritt and they have a coffee shop that's beautiful and large, and they only really use it on Sundays. And so they rent it to us for Monday through Friday, and we hold a two-week course that provides around 40 hours of job skill training, vocational English, customer service, U.S. workforce, cultural orientation, and job placement assistance. And so we've had around 50 people graduate from that class in the last year and a half, um, and we have amazing employment partners, including Blue Bottle, Starbucks, um, Dropbox, and some other local cafes around the Bay Area.
0: So I would assume that most of the people, the refugees going through your program, they're not of the double Ph.D. style. Um, is that is that a good assumption? Or I mean, if you're training them to go in to start to be baristas, um, are they more of the people who didn't have a profession from where they're coming from?
2: So we've actually we've trained um, quite a few people. Um, we've trained people who, you know, they were, you know, had never really held a job at all before um, and we've trained people we had a, a medical doctor go through our training we had um, an actor uh, go through our training uh, we've had engineers go through our training um, so we've had the whole the whole gamut of the varieties of different people going through our training because again everyone who is arriving in the country they need to get a job and they need to get it as soon as possible and what what we are providing through that training is we can be a reference for them we can be a local u.s reference that will help them get that initial job we had a, a a guy that worked with us for a while at our cafe before he moved. Um, And he had gone through 15 different job interviews. He was the head of HR for a global hotel in his home country. Um, But he went through 15 different interviews here and needed to get a job very quickly. And very often the response was, it's going to take some time to go through this process or you're overqualified. Sorry, this isn't going to work out. And so for him to be able to go through our training, to get a job, to be able to, to get started for him was, was huge. Um, and so, you know, that's the situation that, you know, a lot of people are in. You know, they need something just to get moving, just to get started. And the, all the other career pieces, the long term things will figure themselves out once they get that stabilized.
0: And are you guys? Uh, do you have a plan to track what happens? I mean, are they are they part of like an alumni club or? What's, what's <laughs> yeah, we know. And
1: I think the wonderful part about the program is it's it's two weeks and it's intense, and you're there every day, and you're highly caffeinated, and we provide yeah, snacks, yeah, and yeah. we have a, it's really fun. There's a ton of camaraderie, and so. You know, just in the natural of like we have a fun Facebook group and people come back to the cafe that's now open and grab a coffee and we stay in touch with most people. And, you know, to start, we, we had to be pretty scrappy um, because starting a nonprofit and a coffee shop is hyper expensive. And I had done fundraising for a lot of my life. Um, and so that came in to Help, but a lot of our foundations do want to see longitudinal outcomes, and we just are coming up at about a year and a half that the program's been running, and so we are starting to see some of that. And I think one of the amazing parts of people that are coming into this country is is they want to st- they want someone to invest in them, and they want to invest somewhere, and even if it is for you know that year or two or a couple. Um, people stick at those jobs and they love them. And like, we just had one of our early job placements with blue bottle celebrate his first year. And, you know, and that's, that's just really exciting.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it sounds like there's going to be lots of opportunity for you guys to have celebrate success stories and, Mm -hmm. um, and provide even maybe more services. And um, is the idea that the curriculum that you developed could be something that would be shared across other parts of the country and, is this something is that the designs that you guys have
2: yes so we've we've put a lot of thought into you know how we want to grow you know 1951 and we realize you know from having been in a network you know with uh, with refugee resettlement agencies and knowing that there are 200 cities across the country where refugees are being resettled and knowing that coffee is something that permeates U.S. life and culture I mean that's one of the first things we do when we wake up in the morning is find our cup of coffee, and so we know that there is an opportunity for this training to to be taken and expanded into other locations, and so that's something that we're we're actively looking for those those partners in other locations that we can you know go and, and help something get started. Um, that is our that is our goal right now, and we're looking you know actively for that. Um, and so yeah, we're we're definitely open to that and, and actively you know pursuing it.
0: All right, cool. Well, I wanted to ask you guys about World Refugee Day that's coming up on June. 20th, I believe. So just in a couple weeks. Uh, So tell us about what what that is and what 1951 doing uh, in regards to that.
2: Right. So um, World Refugee Day is on uh, June 20th. And, you know, we have a variety of uh, events that we have going on actually throughout the summer. Uh, One of the things we have going on right now is a a travel with us campaign is actually our... um, one of our senior baristas came up with the the campaign in order to to highlight the six different countries uh, that we have people um, from that work in our, our cafe. And so each week throughout the summer, they're taking uh, a different week and they're highlighting either food, beverages, uh, cultural items from from their country. So right now um, we have uh, Bhutan as the country this week. Next week will be Burma and then so on going through our uh, we have our our Instagram accounts and our Facebook accounts. We kind of have a calendar of, of all of those things going on during World Refugee. Refugee Week, um, we're going to be involved in a few different things. We have some some groups coming in uh, to kind of hold some informational things so that they can learn more about refugees and having our uh, baristas uh, kind of share some of their information and stories. Uh, and then we also have um, some programs that we're going to do kind of throughout that day um, leading up to, to the evening. And so, um, yeah, you should definitely come by and check it out.
1: Yeah, it's hard. This year at uh, World Refugee Day falls during Ramadan, and a lot of refugees that come are Muslim. And so it is a more interesting year to have it because there's not as many, you know, activities for everyone to participate during the day. So,
0: Okay, well, um, that sounds uh, um, like there's lots of ways for people to get involved. And sure. it sounds like uh, the best way to get to follow you guys is social media mm-hmm. on uh, Instagram or Facebook.
1: Yeah, And yep. I think, you know, we have... So many people that reach out to us and say, What can we do? We want to help the situation. And what, and we've that, I mean, once you talk to someone and explain to them who a refugee is, what they've been through, and why they are here, I have yet to ever meet someone, doesn't matter where I am in the country or where they are from, that isn't like, I support that and I want to help. And what we wanted to do is make it easier for someone to feel like they could have an impact on someone's life. And so by just coming in and doing your, regular, not selfish, but you know, your regular caffeine purchase, um, you're actually putting money right into the pocket of refugees that are new here and and need that sort of economic boost. And something that's been really fun for us to see now that we're running into our fifth, sixth month of operation is our payroll is $20,000 a month. And that's $20,000 of wages and health benefits and other supports that our staff get. And as a nonprofit, when you come in, you're buying your cup, your milk, your beans, and then you are giving money to people who want a dignified job, want respect, and 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 love it, and want to be there. And so it's just our call to action is like, please just come grab a coffee, make us your regular caffeine fix when you're driving around and, and are thinking of, or where can I have that meeting?
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's easy to do. We all buy coffee, so let's just. <laughs> and go there's
1: to parking right below the cafe, which is yeah. hard to find sometimes. So where is in the, the bay cafe? Area.
2: Where is it? The cafe is at 2410 Channing Way. Uh, So we're right across from Unit 3 Housing, uh, right next to Beverly Cleary. Um, Yeah. So just a few blocks from here. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we're just about a half block uh, down from Telegraph.
0: All right, great. And uh, I always close the interview with this. We've been talking to Doug Hewitt and Rachel Tabor. They're the co-founders of 1951 Coffee Company right here in Berkeley, a nonprofit that helps refugees get their lives started here in America. Um, I always end with this question. You guys have started this thing from scratch, and uh, you're in the heat of the battle right now, getting it launched. Uh, that's always fun. Congratulations, by the way. It's Thanks. not easy to Thank get you. to where you've gotten. <laughs> um, but let's just fast forward five years from now, yeah. and everything breaks perfectly for you guys. Where would 1951 Coffee Company be then?
2: I think that we would, you know, as we as we grow, um, I think that we would we would really like to see our training program you know, open in, in other cities, um, to be able to have an access and have a flow of, of refugees being trained and placed in the coffee industry uh, in those locations. We've kind of looked at some different cities, Seattle, San Diego, uh, Dallas, Washington, D.C., but we're also open to, to a lot of other places that the opportunities could, could arise. Um, I think in addition to that, being able to you know, open, you know, one cafe in, in some of those those cities as well um, would be something that we would like to to do in order to have a, a physical presence there as a representation to the larger business community of what it can look like for refugees to be to be working in your space. You know, we run the cafe here. Everyone who works there is, is a refugee. And they're doing a great job. And I think that's important for the business community to see uh, when they're looking to hire one or two or three refugees to to be a part of their their work. And so I think that's something we would like to do. And then just having that physical presence as as an advocacy point, Um, because, you know, when someone says, you know, I want to support refugees, what do I do? They can't immediately just walk into the, you know, the office of, you know, one of the resettlement agencies and be like, I'm here. What do I do? Um, But with a cafe, they can walk in. They can immediately purchase that cup of coffee and begin to have an impact right away, get to know the baristas, learn about the community. And so we would like to continue to have that same impact in other places as well.
1: Doug and I made a deal that if this goes on 10 years, we're going to get a tattoo of our 1951 logo. So <laughs> that's what I look forward to uh, right. <laughs> seeing where Doug's going to get his tattoo.
0: <laughs> Very practical. Okay. Well, that was Doug Hewitt and Rachel Taper, the co founders of 1951 Coffee Company right here in Berkeley. A 2441 Channing, is that right?
1: 2410. 2410 Channing, 10 Witt, yeah.
0: Channing. And how do they find you on Instagram? Just 1951
2: Coffee? 1951 Coffee, coffee uh, on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, and on Twitter.
0: All right, everybody, go get your coffee from 1951 Coffee. And you've been listening to Method to the Madness here in KLX Berkeley, 90.7 FM. Have a great Friday, everybody.